0: Today, I'm just now getting a signal. Today is the very first day that my daughter, Olivia, gets to hear her daddy preach. Yay! Hi, baby. <laughs> so as the kids file out, maybe one, one word is, is in order here, and I, always, uh, I try to remember this whenever I have the privilege of being up here. It is a privilege to be up here, to have the opportunity to open God's Word and share it with, with my family, is an honor and it's something that uh, I never want to let become commonplace in that I don't remember it for what it is. So thank you for the privilege of opening his word. Uh, Lyle, I don't know if he's even still in the room. He finally got a passage to read that wasn't a genealogy. (laughs) (laughs) We love Lyle. Well, let me pray for us and uh, we will dive into God's word together, which is really the best of all things that we could do. Father I want to thank you for my church family i want to I want to thank you for the 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 fact that as small as we are you you force multiply all that we do you take what what uh, loaves and fishes that we have as as people and you take those things and you multiply them to do some amazing amazing things I even think of you providing a connection between Doug and Renee and Vitaly and his ministry and the the God-honoring things that are happening right now in Moldova and how you would have used that experience to touch Doug and Renee and how they can be part of that ministry. And there are hundreds, if not thousands, of ministries and interactions that you give us that are just like that any given day, any given week. So, Father, we thank you for that. We thank you for... Making sure, making sure that we would all be part of each other's lives, and that we would all be here this morning, it was part of your plan. We're sure thankful for it. And Father, we just uh, we commit this time to you that that you truly would be honored with how we spend this time together. Pray these things in the name and through the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So, uh, as is often the case when I have the chance to be up here, uh, I I don't have to follow any given pattern. We we can pull the curtains back to wherever I might be studying, and so today's passage is kind of where I've invested a little bit of time lately. It's a passage that I'm quite certain that most of the people in this room have heard. You may have committed it to memory. Uh, Some of the people in this room may have taught this passage before. And this is one of those passages that, that, for me, Um, it's, it's one of the ones that I enjoy seeing things that I've never seen before. So the beauty of God's Word is we can open it up, and whatever God has for you today, maybe you'll learn something new. Maybe you'll be reinforced with something you already know, but He's the one that's in charge of that. And I'm sure grateful for that. So really looking at this passage, and we're going to read through it, But looking through this passage, it really provides us kind of the boundaries for what we're supposed to think about. It's it's easy to say, hard to do. But this is is a passage like this is where we go to kind of give us a sense of where we should be putting our mind, where we should be thinking, um, how we can stand against all the different voices within our culture that want to give us their answers and want to tell us what to think. How do we push back against that? And this passage really speaks to that. This passage, I think, if you want to put it this way, it it, it represents ground zero in our Christianity because we just don't do things. We think things and then we do things. This is where things start in each one of our lives. It's not common to any of us. It's common to all of us. This is the way that uh, we make decisions based on what we already think. And so the Apostle Paul is kind of helping us get a head start here. So before we get into the passage, maybe just... Uh, a, a few ideas. These are Matt's ideas. These are things that kind of bubble up to the top when I think of, uh, of, of this letter and of this group of individuals, these Philippian believers. The first thing is, uh, you may or may not know this, but the, 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 the church at Philippi, and actually an individual within the church of Philippi, was the very first convert in the entire continent of Europe. Did you know that? It was actually an individual by the name, it was a, a woman small business owner by the name of Lydia. She was the very first convert in Europe. And so fairly quickly after that, this group of believers kind of coalesces and they, have, they are always known, according to the Apostle Paul, as believers that really take to heart what he says. So the first thing that's unique about this is that there's a very special relationship between Paul and these believers and they go back to the very beginning. Really go back to the very beginning of Christianity in Europe. It's kind of interesting to see that when Paul was planning out that initial missionary journey, God short-circuits, he reroutes what Paul was wanting to do. Paul and Barnabas wanted to go one direction, and then the Holy Spirit says to Paul, no, you can't. And then he gives him a dream about this person in Macedonia saying, come and help us. And so God literally reroutes his direction to take him to Philippi. So it goes back to the very beginning of Paul's ministry there. The the second thing that always strikes me when I look at the book of Philippians is that this is one of those unique books where Paul is actually addressing the people within the church, but he's also calling out elders and deacons, overseers, seers, and deacons. and That's kind of important because from the very beginning... This church has, has taken to heart what Paul says, and there's, there's kind of a fundamental maturity, and they're growing quickly. And so in fairly short order, this church is actually able to find their own leaders kind of organically that have grown up within the church. Right? We, we find out in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1 the, the, the rules that govern the types of men that should be chosen for leadership, but that's not a small thing. Because if if you contrast the church at Philippi with the church at Corinth, of all the things that Paul says to the church at Corinth, he never once talks about or directs any comment to an elder or deacon. It wasn't until later in the life of that church, because of the maturity issues they're dealing with, that they were even able to establish their own leadership. They're going from house to house, but they don't have any elders or deacons. Just think of that for a minute. It's possible to have a church with no elders or deacons or with pastoral ministry. Now, is that possible? Yeah, the New Testament shows us that that's what happened. The first missionary journey, they go to establish churches. And after establishing that, Paul and Barnabas tell themselves, I think we want to go back to those churches and assign leaders. Right? That's the reason for the second missionary journey. So is it optimal? No. It's not long-term healthy, but it's possible. It's possible. And the Philippian church is one of those very few churches that get it and get it very quickly. So there's, there's this real concrete bond between the Philippian believers and Paul from the very beginning. Third, third thing that I wanted to mention, this is one thing that if, if you go to Bible college or seminary, you, you, it's kind of easy to pass over. It's a prison epistle, right? What does that mean? It's a letter written from prison. But the real story there is that towards the end of the Apostle Paul's life, he goes to Jerusalem. He, he feels compelled to go to Jerusalem. And, and his ministry team, his best friends, the people that he's ministering to, in tears, they're trying to talk him out of it. Because when, when they hear him say, I'm going to Jerusalem, that means one thing, he's going straight into the jaws of his enemies. And they're going, please don't do that. And Paul, Paul is reaffirming, this is exactly what God wants me to do. Well, you go to the end of the book of Acts, and you see that's exactly what happens. In, in Acts 28, you find that he is under house arrest. He's imprisoned. What's important is that while he has his own liberty and freedoms taken away, this is where God gives him the opportunity to, to write this intimate, encouraging uplifting letter you would never read the book of philippians and guess that somebody's in prison when they're sending it would you it's just so positive this really goes to what to me is a is a maybe a big point in my life because of my background we all live in a culture not only do we live in a culture with people who want to tell us what to think and how to think we also live in a culture and surrounded sometimes often with a lot of believers who would tell us that if you're walking with the Lord and, and you're, you're exercising your faith and you're, and you're being obedient, that things somehow are going to go smooth for you. Steve and I, I am doing what you're doing right now, which is, just, I can't believe. It. Well, it happens. We have people who really thoroughly believe that, that there is blessing found in the Christian life when you honor God and follow Him. And they're right, there is blessing. But that blessing does not mean one-to-one that we're going to be rewarded financially, that we're going to have uh, a a soft life, that we're always going to have abundance. We will have abundance, but in the things that really matter, and especially in the next life, right? So Paul himself is a three-dimensional picture of this. Paul is in prison, right? He has all of his ability to say and do and go where he wants taken away from him. And he is relying on his best friends, his loved ones, to bring him the things that he needs. He's totally reliant on them. So this goes back, and here's kind of where I'm headed. The last time we were together, we talked about the, the, really the beginning of the book of James, which talks a lot about, obviously, trials and, and our, our, our attitude to take towards trials. This, to me, is marvelous because it means that our God, the God that we serve, is so incredibly powerful He is able to take the very things that Satan in this world will send our direction with the intent of harming us, destroying us, distracting us, taking us, literally prompting us to go into unfaithfulness. He can take those very things, and he's so powerful, he can say, you know what, I'm going to use that very thing to build spiritual fiber into your muscles. I'm going to use those very events in your life that are intended to destroy you, and rather than destroying you, those things are going to build the kind of endurance and quality and strength that you're going to need in order to follow me the rest of your life. That to me, when I, step, you know, when I step away and look at that, that to me is just a marvelous testament to how powerful God really is. He doesn't care what it is. He can take anything and convert it into the very things that provide us strength. So, when we look at the passage, in fact, when you when you just look at this letter, very intimate positive letter, it it kind of, as part of any good literature, Paul writes in a way that things hang together, things make sense. It's just not a string of verses. It actually makes sense when it fits together. So the book of Philippians kind of kind of folds down into two primary primary items. Obviously, he talks about a lot. But the first part of the book, through the end of chapter 3, really talks about the responsibility that we have as believers over our own growth process. We are responsible to follow through and exercise and do what God's given us to do. That's on us. Now, God says, I think it's in in chapter 1, he says, being confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perform it until the day of Christ Jesus. That's God saying, if you do your part, I'll do my part. I will be with you and reinforce you as you grow to the very end of your life. We do our part. He does his part. So that's largely how this first section of the book rolls out. There's a lot of detail under there, obviously, as many of you know better than I do. The last part of the book, though, and again, common to how Paul writes, he will have sections of the book that fit together. So this final section of the book is really the final chapter starts in chapter, one, chapter 4 and really goes to the very end. And this is really building on that first portion of the book. This is taking all that you've learned about your responsibility and now implementing it within an environment with other believers. This is really taking these things, understanding that it's our responsibility of, uh, uh, as believers to see what really matters in life through trials and now the end of this book, Paul is encouraging these believers to take these principles and use them with each other in a corporate environment. So let me read for us, uh, I'm going to read uh, chapter 4, verse 1. This is kind of how this, this ending section begins. Chapter 4, verse 1, he says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, whom I long to see, my joy and my crown, in this way, Stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. He actually says, my beloved, two times. I'm in prison and I'm telling you, stand firm. Now, Paul is not, he's not asking here. He's telling. This is an imperative. I want you to stand firm. And the stand firm part is actually what's going to follow. Here's how I want you to stand firm. So the first, and we won't, we won't look at this in detail, but the first few verses, this standing firm takes the form of being able to, maybe re-implement unity within a couple of the leaders within the church. You have a couple of women leaders who have been there with Paul from the very beginning. Uh, he considers them co-laborers, and he's actually asking, listen, we, we need to solve this. We need to help these women kind of sort out what their differences are, right? That's one way to stand firm. The, the next way to stand firm is he's really encouraging the believers to trust God's provision in the middle of life's challenges. So let me read one other verse for you here. Um, And this is a verse that's a favorite for me because of who I am. He says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So here he's encouraging us to, when you're anxious, take these things to the Lord with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. Right? And he will help you sort this out. Well, I don't know about you, but I I cannot tell you, and it happens more than you think, that I will sit down or stand up or wherever I might be, and I will be taking something to the Lord that I care a whole lot about. And I will be trying to sort this out and talk to him about it. And I will find myself halfway through talking to the Lord that I have gotten anxious all over again. Right? I, I'm Lord, I really care about this and I really want to sort this out. I want to do the right thing. And midway through, I'm, I'm wrapped around my own axle and I'm all anxious. So that happens to me. I know it happens to nobody else here except the people that are laughing. <laughs> so here he's telling us it's possible to be able to take these anxieties, these, these worries to God. And he knows what to do with it, but we have to do it the right way. So then that brings us to our passage this morning. So I'm going to read for us 4, 8, and 9. Just love this passage. I love it. This is one of those passages I love it because of how many things I've missed over the years. You just kind of read through it and think, okay, I know what's happening here until you realize, I don't, I don't know what's happening here. So let's read this together, 4, 8, and 9. He says, finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, Whatever is of good repute or good reputation. If there is any excellence and anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Greater words almost never spoken. So. The the passage starts with a finally. So of all these things in terms of standing firm, in this little section he's wanting to make sure that we pay attention finally. So kind of focus on these are my final words right now. Don't miss them. So he says finally, and then he's, I think, drawing us back to that statement he made in verse 1 to stand firm. So when I've looked at this passage before, I thought I knew what I was talking about. We have all these values. We have these descriptions that he's he's called on us to think about, but you, you kind of cheat a little bit. You go to the end of the verse and you realize now he's he's providing us kind of boundaries. These are the things that we're supposed to think about, but then I scratch my head and I wonder what. I, I it, it's too. I, I've made this I've made this passage way too abstract. These are not notions. These are not ideas. He's just wanting us to think about. In other words, you can say, well, I'm looking at each one of these qualities and obviously the only thing that can can meet each one of these qualities is the Bible, God's Word. So is this passage telling me what I need to do is read more of God's Word? And that's as far as it goes. And I think that's part of the answer, but I don't think that's all of the answer. I, I would suggest, because he's not telling us where to find these things, that it's open in terms of where we find it. What I mean by that is that everything in the Bible is true, but all truth is God's truth. So there's nothing that's saying that we can't look outside of what we read and those truths in Scripture and find these things outside of Scripture in people's lives, right? In our in our environment. So I would, I would suggest that we can see these things that we're getting ready to look at. We can see these things in creation. We, we can see these things in the, in the beauty and the complexity of our relationships. We can see these things happening in the lives around us, events that are taking place within our culture. That's a starting point. And I, I might even take it a step further. When you compare these things that he's encouraging us to think about, we we really need to compare it to these first three verses in this little episode, which is to bring about unity again. I would say part of what he's encouraging us to do is work hard to find these character traits, these ideas in the lives of those that we are committed to, the lives of the people in our fellowship. And so I'm going to return to this. That's going to be one of the challenges for myself and for the rest of us as we go through this list Part of what I think Paul is encouraging us to do is to see these qualities in the people that are involved in our lives. These are the things that he wants us to dwell on, to think about, not just in a haphazard way. So let's go ahead and go through those one one at a time here. He says, um, whatever is true, right? So the word that we use for this, often we use it to, we've translated it as valid, honest, The word's also used outside of the Bible. In extra-biblical literature, it's it's used to define validating somebody's identity. You're, You're truly a king. You're truly a guy. You're truly a woman, right? So those things in life, those things in events, those things that happen within your relationship, those truths from God's Word that are true, that are the real deal, that are genuine, he wants us to be able to think about those things whatever they might be, whoever they might be tied to. The second is those things that are honorable, right? Noble. Use the word, actually the, the, the words used at different times to both denote people worthy of respect and it's also used to define just a, just an amazing, an amazing location that you go to. So those, those things, those people, those places that are worthy of respect. So what I would prompt us to think about is the relationships that we might have where we have been able to respect them or we choose to respect them, and they've earned it. Those are things to think about and be thankful for. Those things that are right. Another thing that we're to think of. Those people, ideas, truths, events that are right. And We take, we take from this word the word that we translate into righteousness. Those things that are just. Upright, just rule, justice. To be able to celebrate in our culture or in our lives where we see real justice taking place. For some of us, that is a blessing in this life that we we, we never thought that we would get to get justice in a situation where we thought there would be no justice. Those things that are pure. To be able to celebrate and think about those people, events, ideas, truths, that represent real cleanness, moral and ethical purity. To be able to just think about what God's done in taking our righteousness that was that was the equivalent of dirty rags. And He's been able to take us and of all things to use blood, the whole idea of taking Jesus's blood to wash us to where we're white as snow. Those are things to celebrate, to really think about. Whatever things are lovely, those things that are lovely, so those things that are amiable, agreeable, pleasing, I just have to step back and say, do we really need to ask ourselves how many things in God's creation that He's created that we, we would not do well to be able to visit with mentally and think about the kind of raw beauty that He's created? It came from Him initially that we can celebrate. And then he has a couple of really interesting statements. So for the Greeklings in the room, these are two, class two, conditional statements. So he says, it's, it's actually a, a statement that he'll make. It's a rhetorical question, and it deserves a, an obvious affirmative response. So he says, if there's anything excellent, if there's any such a thing as moral, moral excellence, and obviously you know that there is. And then he says if there's anything worthy of praise, if there's any kind of behavior that elicits universal praise, and you know that there is. So in these final two statements, they seem to be kind of catch-alls to gather up everything that proceeds. And then he says to the whole list, here's what I want you to do. I want you to dwell about these things. I don't want you just to think about them when you have a chance. I really want you to internally visit with these things. So this this is going to be the challenge for us because we all find ourselves in a culture where we're surrounded by both groups and people like I said before or technology for that reason that that want us to let them wash over us with their answers or with their technology so we don't have to do the thinking that's one of the challenges to our culture by the way with all this technology One of the things that we're losing is the ability to actually rationally think for ourselves. And this is where where Scripture is rerouting us back to what our obligation is. Not just to think, but to give us some parameters about what to think about. So then Paul goes on to conclude by appealing to his own example. And I absolutely love this. So I'll read verse 9 for us again. He says, the, third, the things that you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. So ask yourself just for a moment. These are not four ideas. They're two parallel ideas. Okay? So when you look at these first two ideas, learned and received, ask yourself the question, what holds those two ideas together? What do you learn and receive have in common? And and the answer is found in Paul is appealing to these believers saying, remember the things that I taught you. Remember the things that you learned from God's Word. Those were not just things you heard from a distance. You learned them and you took them in. You absorbed them. And again, that's kind of an artifact of this church. They took the Apostle Paul seriously. They were not perfect, but they were responsible with, with, with the apostolic teaching they had been given. So, the things that you have learned and received from me, that teaching that you received. And then he says, I also want you to remember the things that you heard and saw in me. What, what holds those two concepts together? Heard and seen. He says, I want you to remember the things you heard me say and saw me do. This verse is an outline of mentoring. Right? This is one one person's life pouring into other people's lives. And, he, and he's saying, remember what you learned. It's God's truth. right? You heard it from me, but it's, it's God's truth that he authored. And I also want you to remember the things that you saw me do and do the same things. And this is, this is really a snapshot of spiritual growth for all of us. We're all in the same boat here. Spiritual growth, growing in the Lord, is not made up of just what we learn." Quite frankly, that is that is one of the lessons in this life that I struggled with uh, when I was in seminary. I, I, I learned so much, and it's easy when you're in seminary or Bible college, you assume all this information, you, you, you kind of feel like that's growth, and it's not. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 8, he says, knowledge in and of itself, it puffs up and it makes you proud. But then he says, love actually edifies you. So you, you roll forward to 1 Corinthians 13, and that's where you find out there's a lot of action to love, right? So one component of growth is getting the right information, but it's not by itself. The other component of growth is what Paul says. He says, actually, without saying it, he's referring to a time when they were all in relationship. Their lives were close enough to where they could see how each other was walking out their faith. And he was able to appeal to that example. So our growth... Is based on what we learn, and it's it's also based on the things that we learn by doing within a healthy environment. It's not one or the other. It's a both and. So uh, this is where I stop down and say, this is one of the things about this church I absolutely love. This is one of the things about CBC that I think honors the Lord Jesus Christ. Because when I look at all of us, except for the visitors... I would suggest that most of us, this is one time among several that we will see each other this week. Right? This is not our one and done kind of thing. The people of this church will call, they'll text, they'll have breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And for those of us a little bit more portly, we do, we do those things in tandem, right? We, we, will, we will plan happenstance encounters with each other. We will do ministry with each other. That is one of the hallmarks of a healthy church it's not numbers it's the degree to which you guys live we all live our lives in proximity to one another to where we can kind of bump into each other we're close enough to see how we live our faith and it's very much a if I can do it you can do it too if you can do it I know I can do it that's that's part of that design that's the way it was always meant to be make sense? good it does to me too so let's go ahead and end at the very last comment here. I, th- I think this is kind of interesting here. He says, um, when you do these things, he says, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. What, what, what does that mean? The God of, I, I thought he was always with me. You know, Ephesians 1 says the Holy Spirit is a guarantee of our inheritance. So he can't leave us or else we don't belong to the Lord. We know that we can grieve the Holy Spirit, we can quench the Spirit, but He's with us wherever we go. So what does that mean, that that in this special way, God's presence is with us when we do these things? Well, I'm going to draw you to one last passage. It's going to be Matthew chapter 18. This is, I think, it's an idiom. When you translate it word for word, it doesn't make much sense, but when you take it all together, you kind of get it. You, you understand what they're trying to say. Now, quite unfortunately, I'm, gonna, I'm only going to read verses 19 and 20. Unfortunately, this has been known as the, the passage about church discipline. And I, I just, I don't like that. This passage is a wonderful explanation about what, what mutual responsibility in the growth process is like. This is church relationship here, right? not just the end of the process, which is discipline. So let's look at verse 19 and 20. Let me read that for us. Jesus says, Again, I say to you that if any two of you agree on earth about anything that they may ask, it shall be done for them by my Father who is in heaven. For where two or three have gathered together in my name, there I am in their midst. Now, very early in my Christianity, I took this and I thought, okay, I'm going to gather a couple couple guys together. I don't want to take this test or there's something I think I do want to do. We're going to pray together. If we have enough faith, God's going to make it happen. Well, that's exactly the opposite of what's being talked about here. When you look at the whole passage here, who are the two or three? The, the, the two or three are those brave souls who loved that believer enough to hold them accountable. And that believer made the choice to not repent and to not turn their heart around. So the two or three brave souls, courageous souls, loving souls that are gathering together in God's name are the ones who had to administer that last and very difficult step of church discipline. And so God is saying, you know what? Reading between the lines, this is an excruciating process. If you've ever had to go through it, and I have, and it is excruciating. And it's an evidence of your love for somebody that you would go that far in the process. But what Jesus is saying, bless you, by the way. What Jesus is saying is that when you, when you do something so difficult, I have your back. I am behind you. I, I, I am going to bless and honor you for taking that step which is so difficult. That's kind of the meaning. So when we flip back over to Philippians 4, and he says when you do these things, these are very important, special things. He's saying the God of peace will be with you. It's essentially saying I am completely behind you in this effort. You are honoring me when you do this. I am in absolute and 100% approval in what you're doing here, which for me is really meaningful. It's 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 what we feel when we've done something and we know that we're in the center of God's work, in, in the center of God's will. So does that resonate in each one of us who follow the Lord and walk with Him? There are times in our life when we know it's been difficult, but we're right where God wants us to be, and there is nothing in life. That equates with how that feels. That is just the best. And this is, what, this is what Paul is saying and he's reminding us about what Jesus is saying. That he is there with us. He is right behind us. He is blessing that effort. So a couple final ideas. These are, my, not, these are just my ideas, not the ideas. Just some things to leave you with. This list that we've been given right the the list that we've just kind of blown through these are guidelines for our thinking right paul doesn't tell us exactly where to find these things he is leaving it to us and the holy spirit to lead us to these things and give more than just a little bit of thought to them but to really absorb and get our mind give our mind over to these things just just a reminder if we don't give our mind and the best of our mental effort to things like that people events that represent these things. Our adversary has plenty of other things that he'll replace it with. So we can't just stop doing the things that are bad. That's a recipe for disaster. We have to replace it with something good. And the something good is what's in verse 8. Second thing is, we can see this passage as being our call as a church body to see the very best of one another at CBC. CBC. We need to look for the ways of identifying real evidence of growth among ourselves. I don't think I know anyone more courageous than I do some of the people in this room. And having the, the privilege of being an elder in this church, I, I can tell you that the, the people in this little church have endured some of the most disturbing, difficult, challenging trials that could that could be cooked up by anyone. And they are here. You are here this morning loving loving the Lord Jesus Christ and desiring to follow him. And not taking the easy route, which is, I'm just going to give it up. I'm just going to forsake my faith. You are incredibly courageous. It? And it's my pleasure and privilege to be part of that part of that journey with you. And then the last thing is I think this passage is a great reminder about how healthy growth takes place. Let's not kid ourselves. We're not going to grow just by getting an information dump on Sundays or by turning on a sermon and and learning new things. Growth takes place, and it can only take place as it's reinforced in the lives of other believers. So I'm going to challenge myself, and I'm going to challenge the people I love right, right now that... Take an opportunity before you leave today, as you you kind of rip through this list, take the opportunity mentally to think about how one of these qualities might find a, 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 a great home in one of the lives in this church that you've observed over the years. I challenge myself with that, and I would challenge you with that, because I think that's part of the heart that the Apostle Paul is sharing with us in this passage. Make sense? sound fair? Okay. Well, let's pray together. It's it's been an absolute honor to be able to open God's Word with you. So, Father, uh, as we started off, as we actually began this time together uh, a good while ago, we wanted to honor you and please you with the way that we spent this time. And, Father, my hope and and my prayer is that we've done exactly that. May you be honored with the, with the moments, with the hours that, that transpire from here moving forward. And Father, I just want to thank you again for giving me so much to celebrate as I look at the lives of my brothers and sisters, some of these men and women and boys and girls that encourage me in my faith and that are the reason, so much of the reason why I want to follow you because I see you in their lives. Father, we love You and we thank You again for this time. We do so in Jesus' name. Amen.